Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 70 called Michelle B. Today, I'm partnering with Circle Surrogacy. Circle Surrogacy and Egg Donation is proud to be celebrating 25 years of making parenthood possible for so many. What sets Circle apart from other surrogacy agencies is that almost half of the staff have personal experience as a surrogate, parent through surrogacy, or as an egg donor, or has grown their families through IVF or adoption. They are passionate about helping others achieve their dreams of having a baby because they've been there themselves. They provide exceptional knowledge and experience, fixed costs and financing, and have a 99.3% success rate. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com and follow them on social media at Circle Surrogacy. Thanks, Circle. On this week's episode, I'm partnering with NYU Langone Fertility Center which performs over 3,000 fertility treatment cycles per year at their two convenient locations in Manhattan, New York. At NYU Langone Fertility Center, their approach is simple. We're in this together. They see patients for a full spectrum of fertility conditions, and their first job is to support their patients fully as they become educated about their options. Call 212-263-8990 or visit website fertilityny.org to get started. Again, it's 212-263-8990 or visit their website at fertilityny.org. Thanks, NYU. On this episode, I'm partnering with the good people at Pacific Fertility Center, which is located in the San Francisco Bay Area and has been serving patients for more than 20 years. At Pacific Fertility Center, They believe that everyone has the right to create their family in their very own way. They've welcomed more than 10,000 babies through IVF, IUI, and egg donation. And now they're offering free 30-minute virtual consults. So if you want more information, you can check out their Instagram, which is at Pacific Fertility Center. You can email them at info at pacificfertility.com, or you can call them at 415 834-3000 to get started today. Thanks, PFC. Ah, you guys, I'm so fucking excited about today's guest. She is one of the funniest and realest people on TV and in the movies. You've seen her doing stand-up on Comedy Central. You've seen her hosting The Circle on Netflix, that reality show. You've seen her in movies like Isn't It Romantic and Always Be My Maybe. She's got a Netflix special coming out. She's got a book called Survival of the Thickest coming out, which I love the title. I'm so honored to have Michelle Buteau on today's show. And Michelle's going to tell us all about the long, long road to having her twins, Otis and Hazel. So we're going to get into all of the things, IUIs, miscarriages, IVF, the tumor they found on her pituitary gland, why she and her husband turned to surrogacy and how that all shook out. And also, oh my God, also you guys, discrimination and the downright racist and shitty treatment she faced sometimes when going to some of these doctors, which is appalling and so important. And I'm so, so glad we talked about some of that stuff because it needs to be talked about and it needs to be discussed and it needs to stop. It's ridiculous. So I'm going to shut up because she's hilarious and I'm not. Michelle, thank you so much for being on my show. I can't wait for everyone to hear your story. So without further ado, this is Michelle's infertility story. 
Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for doing this. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time and I'm glad we finally worked it out and you had time. I know you're super busy. So thank you for taking the time. Of course. You're welcome. I think what you're doing is very important. I think this is, you know, the art of storytelling really just makes people feel less alone in a bit scene. And I wish there was something like this when I was going through what I was going through because all I had was weird forums me people saying like the weirdest stuff and i'm like okay (laughs) tell me about some of the weirdest stuff that you saw i mean you know when i would do a transfer i don't remember how many transfers we did some women were like i started bleeding is that a sign they're like just eat pineapple what and then (laughs) some (laughs) people You know, there are questions of like, when can I go back to work? Or what was your, were your levels okay? And it's just like, my levels really didn't go up much, but I was still pregnant. And so like, there was a lot of false hope and a lot of weird advice that I don't think makes sense. And then there was just like, stories that I don't even know were true. Like there are women talking about hemorrhaging, but like definitely kept the baby, like they they still had a baby. And, you know, I just didn't, I didn't even know what I was looking for. I was just looking for an answer, but I didn't even know that there could be so many different answers. And everyone's like, good luck. You know, like I'm, I have more questions than I did before. Yes, I agree. I could, I could never find anything on those forms either that I could really relate to. There's lots of acronyms and lots of like abbreviations. And I was like, what the hell is everybody talking about? Right, right. And that's just like a deep hold. I'm just like, this is, I'm just going to put Bravo TV back on and see what Lisa Vanderpump's face is doing. Because this is (laughs) not helping me at all. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, let's start at the beginning. You know, you've been really candid about the role that surrogacy has played in the birth of your twins. So tell me when you were growing up, did you always want to have kids? Yeah. I mean, I'm Caribbean. And so, you know, kids are just a part of our culture. Big families, uh, mixed families, have these brothers, oops, families, side families. So uh, all the types of families you can imagine under the rainbow and then some. So I've always wanted children and I'm the only child. So I always thought like, oh man, wouldn't it be nice to have a sibling, just someone to bounce off of. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew I always wanted more than one if possible. And I, you know, even in my twenties, I couldn't imagine myself being married, but I was like, I'm definitely going to be a mom, but I don't know what my relationship will look like, but I'll definitely be a mom. So I always, I guess I always knew deep down inside that there would be some sort of alternative family planning. I just didn't know that it would be in the way that it happened. Mm -hmm. So what happened when you met your husband and did you guys, had you guys talked about that? Well, we were super long distance for a while, New York to Amsterdam. And we were in love. We were engaged. We would talk about kids, but we had no idea how that would happen. And we were even like, oh man, we're going to get married and have, you know, us time before we really start trying. Right. And, um, and we didn't even know sort of that there would even be an issue for Mm -hmm. us because like no one has ever had an issue in our family that like, at least we know of because again, people don't talk about stuff. And now I realize why people don't talk about stuff because no one knows what to say. And it's like, Ooh, that was 
That's a horrible answer. I'm trying to have a kid. Well, maybe you should lose weight. I'm sorry. You're not a doctor. Stop. Oh. Well, we're trying to have a kid. Well, if you worked less, if you know, you just wouldn't be as stressed. And it's like, wow, you're stressing me. Yeah. Were those um, actual things that people said to you? Yes. Really? Yeah. And yeah. were those your responses? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I have a very sharp tongue. And so yeah. I tried to... I can really hurt someone's feelings. And usually I take it out when I'm doing stand-up and someone heckles me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is a really good place to let you know that I'm a professional and you're not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of that. And I think it really hurt when my parents did it to me. My dad would say, you know, you're having wine. That's... Ugh. He was trying to show me articles that he's found. And I just had to say to him, you know, I think a year or two in, it's all a blur. I was like, if you want me to still talk to you, you can't be giving me this unsolicited advice. You just have to love me. You just have to say, I'm sorry, baby. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. This will happen. So it was not only a journey, you know, with my body and my emotions and just a physical journey. And then like even between my husband and I, where we like would try to find joy, you know, trying to get pregnant. It was also like a thing with family members and friends where I'm like, wow, I didn't even know you were that much of an asshole. (laughs) One of my friends tried to hit me with, why do you even want to have your own kid? The world is full enough of people. And I'm like, good by forever. Really? Yes. And she also said, yeah, she also said you should just try and adopt. And I was like, God, I didn't know you were the accountant for my life. But listen, we tried to adopt. We went to three different agencies and we would get deep into our application after spending money on different parts of the application for them all to say, if you're still trying to have children on your own, then we we can't move forward. Really? I've never heard yeah. that before. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know what every adoption agency does, but we were looking at um, third world countries. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I don't know if the rules are different. I would just assume so. And I just kind of gave up because I'm like, I am tired and this wall is getting higher and higher. Yeah, absolutely. So I know I read somewhere, tell me if this is true, that your mom gave you health insurance once for Christmas. Yeah, it's that- true. I was just like a broke comedian <laughs> just going to Planned Parenthood. Thank you so much for my uh-huh. pap and just uh-huh. doing whatever I need to do when I need to do it, the annual checkup. And well, that's a nice gesture. <laughs> it is. I mean, or she- did it put the pressure on even a little bit more? No, I mean, I, w- I wasn't even trying, I wasn't even thinking about trying to get pregnant when she um, set us up, set me up with health insurance. Uh-huh. She, she, my dad worked in insurance all his life. And so she was like, this is an abomination. You need insurance. Right. And right, right. when she did that, it was just like months later, I stopped getting my period. And I'm like, uh-oh, I think I'm pregnant. Uh-huh. Um, but I took a bunch of tests and I wasn't and I was like, this is weird. And so I made an appointment and found out that I had this high level of prolactin. And the doctor said, well, either you have a cyst on your ovary or a benign tumor on your pituitary in your brain. And I was like, wow, thank you so much for these cool choices. Right. And... <laughs> 
And so that's what happened. When, and then I was like, oh, this is... You always hear those stories of people that don't go to the doctors because they think that they're going to get sick. And I'm like, oh, this is what happens when you get a health insurance. Uh, but I'm really <laughs> glad I had it. You know, I was like, just don't buy me any more gifts that I don't ask for. Exactly. So what happened with the tumor? She's still there. Okay. She's still there making an appearance. Um, I take medication to shrink her and okay. uh, and to regulate my period. And uh-huh. yeah, that's sort of why I couldn't, we found out later that I couldn't, I could get pregnant, but couldn't stay pregnant. Because, okay. And it was all tied back to the tumor and the pituitary? Yeah. Because yeah, when you have prolactinoma, a high level of prolactin, a, your body thinks it's pregnant. So you know you're very far along and your tumor is getting bigger if you start to get blind. Um, also, you start to lactate. Just weird things. Your feet and your hands get bigger. It's a wild ride. Wow. And that was happening to you? It was happening to me. And um, I just sort of try to figure it out and live with it for a couple of years before we started having baby, trying to have a baby. Uh-huh. Because I, again, would go to forums and people were like, I got pregnant on my own. I just had like, you know, maca in my smoothies and lavender on my pillow. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm going to goop this up. I'm going to eat the pineapple with cayenne. I'm going to do all those things. And none of it worked. And it was, it was IVF. Like everyone, uh, every person I went to, every doctor I went to, they're like, you have to you just need something stronger. And so uh-huh. I think I did an IU, IUI. What is it? Yeah. IUI. Yeah. Oh God. It seems like another life now. Try to IUI a couple times before and then just went full on IVF and was like, wow. I mean, I, I really feel for in this circumstance during a pandemic, what yeah. that must be like right now to, Cause you plan everything out, you know, like mm-hmm. if you're so excited to have, have a baby, just even the chance that you could, and you're spending all this money and you're doing all these things and people have walked out of the office pregnant and walked home from a hospital with a baby mm-hmm. or whatever. You're like, Oh, this is, this is my moment. We're going to finally have this family. And then you start looking at the calendar. You're like, when's the birthday going to be? If my transfer is this time Mm -hmm. and I'll be pregnant this time. And you're like, Oh my God, the baby's going to be a Capricorn. And you start doing all these things. And I can't even imagine these poor women going through this right now. And they're just like, it's just on hold indefinitely. That's yeah. It's so crazy. And even going to the doctors three times a week, spreading your legs, getting poked, getting your blood drawn. And then you walk down the New York City street and some guy has the audacity to say, smile. Why aren't you smiling? And I want to be like, "Are you? I am bleeding from every part of my body right now. And I'm right. popped up on hormones. You fucking smile. Anyways. <laughs> so what was, I know this was, all this stuff was really messing with your hormones, what was it doing to you like emotionally? Oh, emotionally, I was a wreck. I mean, I just didn't know it because, you know, people think I have the flair for the drama. I don't think so. I think I'm just honest with what I'm going through in the moment always. Mm-hmm. And I have to be. Otherwise, I feel like I'm sinking, mm-hmm. you know? I feel like I'm always coming up for air. And I was like, wow, this is the first time I really just try to be strong. For me and for everybody, it was the first time I really felt like, I have to keep this to myself because 
I tried to be open about it and everybody was a monster and they just sounded so stupid and it was so hurtful. So it was a lot. I mean, I, my husband would administer all my shots unless I was traveling and he'd drive me to every appointment because he wanted to be a part of the process as much as he could since uh-huh. I was sort of going through it all. And, um, I remember, God, it was like week two or three and the progesterone was kicking in. And he left a bunch of crumbs on the countertop making another sandwich. Like, I don't know who eats that much bread and cheese, but he's Dutch. And that's what they're made of. Yeah. And I usually clean it no problem or he'll like wait till the next day to clean it. Uh, but he, someone always gets to it. And I don't know why that was the straw that broke the camel toe for me. But I was like, this is it. You don't care. I have to do X, Y, and Z. And I start to cry. And I'm like, I want a divorce. And I would like stomped upstairs and like slammed the door. And I was like <laughs> crying. And then I, I took a shower and I was like, oh, that was really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started laughing to myself and I came downstairs and he was just like on the couch. He's like, you okay now? I'm like, yeah, I think it might be the hormones. He's like, you think? <laughs> um, <laughs> so it yeah. sounds like he could he was able to roll with it at least and know that that wasn't the true you for sure yeah. for sure and yeah thank, thank the thank goodness for that because yeah that, that, is he pretty chill like it sounds like he he's very he's, chill he's yeah. always digesting cheese and bread so he's just very chill okay <laughs> so at this point were you still they were still thinking that it would be you'd be able to carry have a pregnancy and have a healthy pregnancy yeah okay. yeah you know they were my doctor was excited and impressed that i could harvest so many eggs at my age mm-hmm. so this and is how like old really, were you at the time if you don't mind this was like 35, 36 to okay. 40 uh-huh. is when I was like, that was the whole time I was really just doing it. And, um, you know, but everything was such a learning lesson. It was so annoying because it's like buying a car, you know, it's like, it's so much information. It's really overwhelming. You should always bring somebody to the doctors with you because it's so, you can't, remember it all they won't let you record it because sometimes i like to record it and listen back mm. even if it's about you they won't let you record it so annoying and mm-hmm. so i remember the first time i got pregnant and my first miscarriage the doctor said well you have more embryos banked we'll just screen them we'll do the pre-genetic screening mm-hmm. and i'm like what is that and he's like oh that's when we test for um abnormal oh god what's the word cells or something Mm -hmm. oh lord and i was like well why didn't we do that before and then he said something like i don't like your tone (gasps) and i was like yuck and so not only is it a thing for a woman to be at her most vulnerable in every chapter to be a black woman or any ethnic woman and going to going to a hospital there's always this thing where people think you have an attitude because you question them. Mm. And so there's a lot of like, I have some, especially in my twenties, I would keep my voice in a certain register to make them feel comfortable. Mm. Now I'm just tired at my wits end. Yeah. And so, you know, and I don't have to tell you this. I mean, like it, it, it's, it's horrifying for a black woman to give birth in a hospital because nobody believes her. 
and it's it, and it's a lot of that and so yeah. Uh, yeah so i remember getting my blood drawn and doing my thing and i was like ow that hurt that prick like was that deliberate and so there's like all these things that kind of like swirl in your mind of just like i have to go back in i mean i've started with them but you know then race is sort of an issue and i was like i I don't even know how to handle this. It's just so much to unpack. And I really have to thank, you know, just thank God for comedy and doing a job where it just feels like a beautiful release because I'm there to make people happy. But in turn, this is like feeding my soul too, because this is all happening, you know, before 8 a.m. Just Right. Anyways, I'm no. really talking in a circle, but no, you're not. I think that's so important. And if you don't mind, I'd love to talk about that a little bit more. You know, we just did at Fertility Rally, which is the other piece of business that I have in the space. It's we it's like a community and content hub and we have virtual events and we just did one about infertility and women of color. And the our two guests were talking about, you know, trying to kind of explain to people what black women go through in this journey and how it's so different. And there's a lot of, you know, racism and unfair treatment. So I think it's important to talk about that. And I'd love to hear more on that from you if you, if you're willing to share that. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the nurses are black, a lot of the doctors are white. And so you will get a wink and a nudge and it's okay, sweetie. And just sort of the the TLC that you need when you have your legs in stirrups going through something from one of the nurses sometimes if you're lucky mm. for the most part you feel like you are a number mm-hmm. like you're waiting at the deli and you're like this is my body a lot of times the nurses at the front desk won't ask the white ladies for their credit card right away but they want you to pay immediately because they don't think, A, you can afford it or B, you're just going to like walk out. Wow. And it's like, I'm, I'm not trying to loot, <laughs> you know, right. this yeah. office. Like I am, <laughs> I will pay, you know? So it's just even down to the treatment when you walk inside, you know, is, um, is stark. It's, it's, and you know, it's crazy too, is that my husband who is a white dude from Holland, mm-hmm he's never been in this position. He's never lived in America until he's moved here to be with me. And so a lot of this I'm telling him and he doesn't believe it. And then he sees it and he's like, Oh wow. And even when I bring my white husband with me, the way people change in the room. Wow. When they're talking to me is so obvious. Yeah. And so all of those things, you know, to think that you are, to be treated like you're not worthy, that you are a problem, you know, for any doctor to say, I don't like your tone. It's like, you're not my dad. I'm going to take the car out tonight. Like it's just, I can't believe he said that to you. I can't, I just, I've never, it's, I mean. Oh my God. He also told me at one point, because we were making small talk and I ended up writing a joke about it because how can I get through it? He told me that he was voting for Trump. Because the election day was the next day. Yeah. And it was a lot of, oh, so what are you guys doing? Right. And I'm like, going to the polls. Right. Yeah. And so my joke about it is that I uh, I farted. (laughs) 
and, that, and that he's like, this is what democracy smells like. Thank you so much, doctor. Oh my God. Just a little one. I mean, just enough. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. That's great. But yeah, I mean, it's back to, you know, the infertility and women of color issue. Like the, it, it, one of our guests was saying also that, you know, in, in the culture, it's not talked about. And she was like, you know, when I found out that I was infertile, my first thought was like, how could I be infertile? I'm black. And we're supposed to be yeah. these like producers and breeders. And like, it's so interesting to hear all, all of that. So can you tell me like on the cultural tip, how it's felt for you? Oh my God. Just, I mean, it's almost as if like getting a tattoo on my face would make more sense than IVF or any alternative <laughs> family planning because there's a lot of that where you're Caribbean and you basically get pregnant from dancing with somebody. Right. And right. because you cannot get pregnant, something is just something's wrong with you. Yeah. Something's wrong with you. And that's the thing I was facing the first year when I would was sort of open about my journey. Well, you know, you eat too much of this. It's the animal fat. You gain too much weight. Mm -hmm. You sit down too much. You stand up too much. And it was a lot of like IVF. Okay. Isn't that what rich white people do? Yes. And even when we were going into surrogacy, I mean, I just, you know, the handmaids, the handmaid tale jokes and the, wow, are you going to get a boat too? It's like, oh, I didn't know your comedy was paying that much. You're so privileged. And it's like all that shit is a culmination of not only people's ignorance, but we're ignorant for a reason because no one is ever talking about this like, you know, matter of factly, like, by the way, this can happen to your body. By the way, these are options you have. By the way, they're not legal here. That doesn't make sense. But this is why they're not legal. And this is antiquated. Like no one is really running down the facts anywhere, especially when you're young. It's don't get pregnant. Absolutely. After a certain age, it's just like, why aren't you pregnant? And I'm so tired of answering people's basic questions. Right. You got to talk about something else. Absolutely. So tell me about how long were you doing IVF? How long did you go through it? Five years. Wow. Okay. So when did you finally, and you said, I know you had at least one miscarriage. Did you get pregnant any more times than that? I had four miscarriages. Okay. So did Uh, I. Wow. Yeah. Miscarriage twins. (laughs) Yeah, Miss Cashman. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to see? Um, oh, yeah, exactly. Did you feel like with the first one, it was kind of like, well, everybody has a miscarriage, no big deal. And then they just got progressively more traumatic because that was my kind of my experience. But I'm curious to hear what how you felt. Oh, it's funny. I was really just crestfallen with the first one because I was nine weeks in, we had a heartbeat. And I was like, this is it. Of course, this is it. Right. And so when we showed up, it was the first time my husband was coming into the room with me to see the heartbeat. And they had no heartbeat. And I was like, what? Keep looking. Mm. You know, let me turn to my right. Let me turn to my left. And they're like, I am sorry. And so I was also getting internet bullied at the same time that week from the show I did. I don't even want to talk about that. But. It was just a very stressful week. Yeah. Obviously. And we had people in town from Holland. And yeah. the last thing I wanted to do was host. 
And right. uh, I was like, none of this shit happens at a convenient time. Right. But there was that thing where people were like, yeah, it happens the first time. And then even the doctor was like, well, we should screen them. And I'm like, okay. And so, and this happened with a lot of my cousins and friends too. After the first miscarriage, you just want to go right in. Yeah. You just want to go right back in. And so when the second miscarriage happened, I was like, that's weird. Let's go right back in. Yeah. And when the third one happened, I was like, okay, now this feels crazy. Because the first two, I don't know what you did, but I had a procedure for the first two. Then the second two, I just let it yeah. go naturally. Because I was like, I, I can't go through this procedure again. Yeah. All of mine were early. So I never I never had a DNC. I was, it was all just kind of passed on its own. And it was never super crazy bleeding or anything like that. I've heard, oh my I've God, heard horror you're stories. So lucky. Yeah, yeah, it I is. Like... You feel like you are in labor. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's when I knew I also had a really great partner because any person that can lift me off the bathroom floor multiple times yeah. um, is a good person. Yeah. Did you ever have a chemical pregnancy? You know, I did. And I still, I, yeah, I did. I still don't totally exactly understand. Me either. I mean. and, if, like, it, and I don't think they know either. They're just yeah. like, yeah. I, you know. I, I think it's when you get pregnant and then there's no sack. Like it doesn't even get to that point. It's almost like your hormones are registering that you're pregnant, but they can't find anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's what that is, but I could be wrong. And as I always say, this is not a medical podcast. Right. So no one quote me on that. But yeah. And then there's also like the missed miscarriage, which I always think is a weird term as well, which is also, I think when it's pretty early on, but I think they all, you know, I talk about this a lot. Like it doesn't matter when you have your loss, if it's, you know, two weeks in, seven weeks in, it's, it's, it's always painful. It's always awful, you know, and traumatic. So I never want women to like minimize their own pain because they're like, well, I wasn't that very, very far along. It's like, no, it still fucking sucks. Oh, it still fucking sucks. And I don't think some people even realize that it never leaves you. You just learn how to cope and be and have it be a part of you. You know, I had two good friends that were pregnant the first time I was pregnant and they ended up having beautiful boys. Yeah. And every time, I think there are five now. And uh, I told my husband just uh, a couple months ago, I said, oh, you know, so-and-so's kid is five now. Like our kid would have been five. Yep. And he's like, and he's like, why would you bring that up? Why would you? And it was just, he, I could tell he was getting into like, a, oh, I got to fix it mode. Be positive. And I'm like, no, I am being positive. But those are the things I think about because really? you can't help, you cannot help but wonder what they would have looked like and what life would have been like and that. Awesome. And of course it all happens when it's supposed to happen, but it's, it is almost like walking around with a beautiful ghost that is yeah. a part of you. Yes. Oh my God. I just got the chills. And I'm so glad you said that because I think that's very common with, you know, women like us that have experienced loss where you do that, you know, you see your friend's kid that's starting kindergarten and you're like, that would have been my boy or, you know, that would have been. Yeah. My, so I've, I totally do the same yeah. thing. It's hard not to, it's like you're mourning the loss of what could have been. Yeah. And people, 
I've, you know, I went to a few healers because I was just, everything was just so fucking traumatic. And a lot of people were like, name your loss, name your, yeah, everyone's got a name. Don't worry about that. They have a name. They have a space in my heart, in mm-hmm. my mind. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think also that's very important too. I think it's powerful for women and men to name their losses because then you have a little compartment, right? Of just like, oh, that's so and so. Okay. And, you know, hopefully that'll help them to keep it moving. But yeah, it, yeah it's, it's real. I think for men who are the partners of women who are experiencing loss, it's important to remember that it never leaves. It just gets a little bit better. Mm-hmm. every year or like you know or every happy moment at a time but it it never goes away yeah exactly so what happened with you guys when you finally decided to stop IVF was surrogacy the next step for you then or did you think about other things as well or how did it shake out we were all over the place because yeah. by the fourth pregnancy i'm like this isn't going to happen yeah I'm like, be positive, be positive. And I didn't say that out loud, but I'm like, you get the test and it's positive. You're like, okay, that's another hurdle. Been here, been there, done right. that. Uh-huh. Oh, we passed six weeks. Okay. You know, and like by seven weeks, you're like, okay. And we, I think by the second or third miscarriage, we were talking about adoption. So we were looking into that and that was hopeful until it wasn't. Is that what you were talking we, about before with the third world countries? Yes. Okay. And that didn't work out. And that's so emotionally exhausting too, because you pour your heart into those applications and your money and, you know, that that must have been really hard as well. I mean, completely. And then we were looking into like, you know, our finances because we were just kind of like, do we sell our home? Do we rent our home? Do we get financing? Mm-hmm. Um, what do we do? What are our options? And so when I went to the doctors that morning uh, for the fourth one and didn't have a heartbeat, mm-hmm. I was like, I am fucking done. I don't know who to be mad at. This is, cr- I am exhausted. You know, the good news is, is that there are embryos banked and they're healthy. Mm-hmm. I got a, it, it's, it's kind. It, it was a constant like, the glass is half full. Totally fucking glasses. And then I'm like ready to break the glass, and so I. <laughs> it's such um, a roller coaster. It's such a roller coaster, and so I Facetime my mom, and I was you know upset, crying, and I said I'm just so done with this. Like I can't put my body through this anymore because my husband threw his hands up too, and he was like, "You have to stop doing this. This." You're not yourself. I don't know if you've ever seen an episode of Intervention on A&E. Oh my God, yes. When people are just like their faces sunken in and they have scabs on their eyes and shit. And then at the end, they just look like, then they end up looking like, I don't know, Taylor Swift on a good day. You're like, what? That is what you look like? Right, right, right. That was me, but the opposite. It was just like bloat. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah. bags and yeah. it was like Michelle is in there somewhere yeah and so my husband's like you have to stop doing this and plus all my, my whole body was bruised like yeah 
the Lovenox, the Prolact, all the stuff. It was just like too much. Yeah. And so FaceTime my mom, tears in my eyes, said, we're going to try and refinance our house and look into surrogacy. I didn't want to because that was just an even scarier road Mm -hmm. where it felt like I was walking into a haunted house and I've never even heard of haunted houses before. (laughs) And I'm like, how many doors am I going to have to fucking open now? So sorry. Now I'm just cursing. No, Um, that's good. I love it. But she was crying and she was like, I've been waiting for this phone call from you to say that you're not doing this anymore. Oh. And, you're, and uh, your father and I want to dip into our savings to help you facilitate your dreams. Oh. And so it was like tears, tears, tears. And I'm like, amazing. And then at the end, she's like, but will the baby look like you? And I was like, okay. Okay. And then I realized that's one of the doors in my haunted house of surrogacy. It's like the right. question. Right, right. Because you're using... Okay, so how many embryos did you guys have banked at that point? Oh, God. Um, four. Okay. So you're using your own genetics, you and your husband, obviously. But yes. yeah, I would love to move into the surrogacy piece of this because I was in Albany when you were lobbying with Andy Cohen and I was at that event as well, or that day, that advocacy day, which was so cool to see you up on that panel and telling a bit of your story the thing that baffled me was that people don't understand what, you know, gestational carriers are and what surrogates are. So tell me about that from your point of view. Like, what did you know about it? And like, what did you come to learn as you were going through the process? Well, I mean, I didn't know much about it at all. I mean, I knew that women were available to carry your child. I did not know what any of it meant. And yeah. so again, the doctor did not explain this to me. The nurse did. Mm-hmm. And surrogacy was sort of like her expertise. Okay. So to my doctor's credit and the whole company, like they have people set up and they're really working towards their strengths. And there's so much I didn't know. And mostly it was all about the law. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like out of um it's sort of an out-of-body experience because it's not my body anymore, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's like we are talking about embryos and eggs and adopting and out-of-state and this and that as if it is just like purely a business transaction. Like, Mm -hmm. again, I'm buying a car. Well, for this amount of money, you can do this. And I was just like, well, what? So the fact that I'm even like figuring out what can happen you know, when you do have your own DNA and that, well, you've really, I mean, it's not that they were being insensitive. Obviously they do this every day, but for women who can't harvest an egg and need to find one, my heart bleeds for them because that is just so much more expensive. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember even talking to a famous actress on set where I, you know, my circuit was already pregnant and she's like in front of everybody like 10 minutes later, she goes, your surrogate, your eggs? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, good girl. And then just sort of like sauntered away. I'm like, yuck. So yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not ready to talk about it like it's fantasy football. And so, because it's still very, I mean, it's still, it, yeah, it's just a sensitive subject. And so oh, really? when the nurse broke it down to me where that I would have to pick a state 
that I'd like to find a surrogate. I'm like, what does that even mean? Right. And she's like, it's not legal in New York. And that was such a, that was such a fucking blow. And I'm like, what do you, so now my body has left me down and now my state has let me down. Like how far do I have to go? You know? And again, it was like another door in the haunted house of just like, what the fuck? Right. Because then it's taking time off of work. It is, who is this person? Right. Um, is she going to be a Trump supporter? Um, <laughs> is she going to, you know, and like the only reference we really have to surrogacy is like that Tina Fey, Amy Poehler movie. Right. Baby Mama. Baby Mama, where she's just like sneaking in a beer because she's not really pregnant. I'm like, all of this is horrible. Yeah. And so the so good where thing... Did you ab- begin? That's the thing. The good thing again about my doctor and his whole business is that he had a handful of agencies that he liked to work with because he said that um, he's had really good experiences with these handful of agencies and that everyone's come home. And that's the thing. Everyone's come home with a baby. Mm -hmm. They know how to get you. Mm-hmm. They know how to get you. They yeah. know how to say the words. And I, I don't even think he was dangling, you know, what is it, a carrot on a stick or whatever the saying is. Right. I, I, I think he was just about the business. And so I ended up going to this agency in Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time just to even get a consultation. The consultation was a four-hour drive. And we were out there for another four or five hours. Mm-hmm. And these women were, I mean, they were magical. They were so thorough. They covered every question that I could not even possibly think that I would have for every scenario. Mm-hmm. The owner needed a surrogate in the 70s. Wow. And... um yeah, and there was I, I, that. I don't even know where she went. I think she probably went to like Mars because she just like made it happen. I think she was also a lawyer, and then her partner was a five-time surrogate. Yeah, so they had experience on both sides. That I and I, you know, when people are just like, it takes a village. It's not your neighbor who's gonna like you. You left your bike over here. It's these women. It's, right. The nurse who was actually like, are you okay? Right. You know, it's my surrogate. So yeah, I mean, right. the, sur- the process was really crazy too because they had somebody right away. They did. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so I was three or four months in the hole with her. And then the day of the transfer, the doctor found some fluid or something. And he was like, I don't feel comfortable transferring your embryos into her. Whoa. So then... Yeah. So then I was like, oh, I remember getting this phone call on a New York City street after an audition and I just fell to my knees in the middle of the sidewalk. And I'm just like, how is this happening yet again? This is not going to... And everyone's like, look at the bright side. You know, like it would have been more traumatic. And it's just like, all right, the glass is half full. I'm so tired of this glass, but yes. And the fucking glass again. (laughs) The fucking glass. Yeah. Oh, that must have been a devastating moment. I'm sorry. Oh, so it then, was. But you stayed with the agency, and then they're like, "We'll find you somebody else," kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of talked me off the ledge as well, and um, they found someone, and they obviously had to vet her. 
And I don't think people understand how hard it is also for a surrogate to be a surrogate. Like someone doesn't just show up and say, I'm here for money. These people are walking angels who, you know, for the most part, find being pregnant euphoric and easy and want to help someone have a family. Right. Like that is, I mean, the love in someone's heart to even do that. It's like, it's so beyond anything and anyone can understand that they don't even trust it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, it is real. And there are good people out there. You might just not be one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't trust it, then what's wrong with you? Right. And <laughs> get your glass to be half full, bitch. Just kidding. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and also like we are out here to protect them. We're not taking advantage of anyone. That's of course crazy. It's like, it's, you know, it's a team effort. They want it. They want a healthy baby as well. And it, you know, for everyone to just want simply the best for us only makes me want to do and be my best for everybody involved. Yeah. And I, and I don't think people understand that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, someone was like, oh, do you not want to gain weight? It's like, I have only been gaining weight since the seventh grade. So you have to shut up. (laughs) Yeah, I I know. There's a lot of misconceptions about it. A lot of like mythology surrounding it. I mean, when we were lobbying, I remember going into some politician's office and they were like, yeah, but like whose baby is it really? That's the question. And we're like, no. That's not the fucking question. That's never the yeah. question. Like you're so off. They have such yeah. an antiquated notion of what this means. So Yeah, and it's and it's really kind of gross too, to be honest, because it, it it's just when people are just so small minded where it's just very black and white, those are the same people to me who are like adopt, but it's not even my flesh and blood. How can I love something? It's just like, okay. Right. You know, I, I, I can't. I'm so glad no one said that to me. Yeah. So was it the second surrogate that you bonded with and that's the one that you ended up working with? Yeah. And, you know, I really wanted to protect myself because I was so full in with the first surrogate mm-hmm. that I was like, okay, I'm so glad you guys found someone. Let me know when she passed all the tests. Right. And even then I was still traveling for work, just threw myself into work and I'm like, yeah cool. Let me know. Like it was probably like five months in for her to pass all the tests before we could actually start the procedure, uh-huh. you know, getting ready right, for the procedure and everything. And I, uh, even then was like, well, just let me know if she's actually pregnant. Cause I'm, I, I just had to be so far removed in my mind at least, yeah. you know, like I still wanted updates, but I just could not, I just had to pray that this person was a good person. Yeah. So d- had you talked to her at all? At I, I talked to her when she got the pregnancy test. Okay. And then did you guys... I was in Canada. So uh-huh. yeah, I was working in Canada. So... Right. Had you um, guys transferred the two embryos? Yes. Is that what you did? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So how was it when you had that first phone call with her? And I'd love to hear a little bit more too about just, you know, you, t- you guys talked about in Albany how these surrogates become kind of family members to you. You know, you've got this forever bond, obviously. They've done the most selfless thing for you. And it makes me so happy that people out there like that exist. So tell me about your relationship with yours, if you don't mind. 
Well, I mean, it's a very weird position to be in to have a relationship with someone that not only have you never met and you're doing the most beautiful, emotional thing ever together, there was also no one else in my life that I could talk to out of my friend group, which is very large, that I could say, I am doing this. Do you know anything about it? Mm -hmm. And the only person I could talk to was Tig. And I didn't even think about talking to her about it till months in. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know how open people want to be. Right. You're talking about Tig Nataro, the comedian? Yes. Yeah, Tig and her wife, Steph. Right. And so... And even then, and even then, if someone says, oh, it's great, do this, you still don't know until you go down that path yourself. So I was very mindful and thoughtful because she, I know what those drugs are like when you're taking all those hormones. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I talked to her, it was, a very much, it was very much like, how are you doing? And she talked about her side effects. And so we kind of like bonded over that immediately. It was just like, oh yeah, <laughs> tell your husband not to leave any crumbs on the table because <laughs> the little things are big things. And then, <laughs> you know, for me to work so hard for these embryos, but for her to experience what it feels like with them growing and moving, mm-hmm. I have to check myself and say, at any cost, at every point, this is amazing and they will be here with you. Right. It is amazing, but you also have to check yourself and say, I'm a part of this too. I'm a part of this too because the appointments are no longer about you. Right. They're about her. And so I remember that first phone call because I was walking on the streets of Vancouver and we were talking about how excited we are and who we are essentially. And and I'm like, do you have any cravings? And she's like, I'm craving spaghetti. And I don't even like tomato sauce. And I was like, oh, my kid is in there. Because oh. <laughs> I am a pasta hoe. That's like, awesome. I can eat it cold, hot. It doesn't even have to be good. I will just, I love pasta. Uh-huh. And so I was like, yes, the, those, that is my DNA right there. Oh, um, I love that. So was was there ever a moment that you were able to relax with this or was it like not until you had no, those babies? Never. Yeah. Never. Even when they came out I was and they're wheeled off, I'm just like the first no, never. Yeah. I have been on edge for what, seven years now? And everyone's right. like, Are you okay? I'm like, No. Right. Will I ever be okay? Right. There's so many levels to the panic. And the anxiety, but also the beauty. And I guess that's what it is, you know? It's like jumping out of a plane and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. And even after they're born, you can't really relax because then it's like, are they breathing? Are they going to be okay? And, you know, my kids now, I have a 10-year-old and a four and a half-year-old. My son was the one I had through IVF. And I'm still like every single day, I'm like, I still can't believe you're here. I still, I'm never going to get over that. I'm never going to lose that peace, you know, which is good because you have a gratefulness that I don't know if you have, not you, but just in general, you know, going through when you've gone through so much trauma and so much loss, like, you know, I think women like us that have this common bond, like will forever know like something 
in terms of being grateful. Right. Right. And so to get back to your question, I just naturally started checking with her every day because I wanted to know, yes, how babies were, but I want to know how she was because this is, she's turning her world upside down. Right. Her and her family, you know? So how is everyone doing? Yeah. And so it really did feel like I had um, two families at the moment. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, your kid did what today? That's so cool. And her kids were wonderful. They would sing to her stomach. Oh. A lot of Bruno Mars, real cute. <laughs> and so she's uh, in Pennsylvania and you were in New York. I was in New York. Okay. Yeah. Were you able to go to any of the appointments? I went to most of the appointments. Oh, wow. Um, but the because I was filming a show called First Wives Club. Mm-hmm. And it was just so great being busy, obviously. But I'm also like, oh, I can't make this appointment. And then my mom would fly in from Florida to go with my husband to the appointment so they could both go and see how the babies were doing. No way. Oh, my God. Your mom is the best. My mom is the best. I should Aww. call her and not give her a hard time. I know now that I know it's like you never get it right can we talk about the moment they were born sure that was really wild and again parenthood or even entering parenthood for my husband and I has always felt like we were knocking on a door saying hello parenthood can we come in (laughs) (laughs) we'd love to come in and it was no different with the baby's birth because we had a natural birth, which was amazing because again, my surrogate is a warrior princess and she was like, we're going to do this. But the babies had to be born in the OR and the OR is small and each baby had three nurses. And so my surrogate got to pick who she was going to have in there with her. And it could either be me, my husband or her husband, Mm -hmm. which was kind of a hit because it's like, wow. Well, of course, she has to be comfortable, of course. And it's like, what is it? Again, the constant reminder of just like, yeah, we, we have the rest of our lives together. And what's this moment? And um, her and her husband decided that I should be there. Oh, my which God. Which was really beautiful. And my mom was up for the birth. And my husband and I were like, okay. And so I feel really for him because there are so many steps where he's like, I'm cool, man. I'll be, I'm, I'm going to be a dad. I'm, and so I'm just really glad he was so not laid back, but easygoing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it, it, it's like, it's so easy to become a bridezilla in this. It's just like, but I've, you know, and we're right. all just like, let's just come together and get the yeah. ship, you know, to the dock. And so it was again, amazing and beautiful in a way where I don't even know how to describe when you wish and want and pray for someone in your life so badly, and then even the sheer miracle of watching a baby come out of someone's body. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why people cry or faint in the delivery room, not because of the blood or the placenta. It's just like, oh, holy shit, that is a, that is a person. I will never have road rage again. This is, I cannot believe every human being is here like this. Yeah. And so 
there was also these moments though where the nurses are yelling at her to push and they're yelling at her not to push. And I'm just like, thank you so much for being here. I love you so much. Thank you. <laughs> like, I'm not going to yell at her. I'm not Jane right. Lynch and Glee. I'm not a gym teacher. <laughs> and so I, you know, uh, when the babies came out, it, we were both crying and hugging and I, you know, it was just, it was just so beautiful. I, I don't even know that I will ever see anything that beautiful ever again. Oh my God, you guys, I love her so much. Michelle, you are the shit. Thank you again for doing that. I really know you're going to help people and also entertain them, obviously. Guys, check out her book. It's called Survival of the Thickest. It's out 12-8. You can pre-order it now. Also look out for her Netflix special, which hopefully will be coming out later this year. And also, if you guys are fans of this podcast, which I hope you are, If you don't mind taking two seconds to pop on over to Apple and give it a review and a rating, it really helps us get noticed and keeps us in the forefront of people's minds. So again, thanks for listening. Love you all. Thanks again, Michelle. And I will talk to you guys next time.